Day three wide receivers are the worst investment you can make relative to their other positions for your dynasty teams. Welcome to the Football Guys Dynasty Show. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. And all the data, you know, even if you are a fledgling uh, fantasy football data scientist, uh, the first thing that's going to strike you when you start looking at NFL draft position, uh, looking at the different skill positions, is just how bad of a bet these day three wide receivers are. Um, talk about, you know, round four, every once in a while, you know, you get that guy that is a sliding from day three, day two, you know, that, oh, he's got really good metrics, but typically those guys don't make it very far into day two, day three, excuse me. And how about this? You want to go round five and beyond at wide receiver? Talk about three for 189. I don't want to play those odds with my, dy- my precious dynasty roster spots. Um, these are three to five percent bets overall. They bust a heavy majority of the time. Uh, we're talking 94, 95 percent. And one of the big problems is whether it's a back end of your startup draft, uh, you don't want any capital invested in this. So we're assuming it doesn't cost that much, but the value of the roster spot, the time element of the roster spot is specifically what we're talking about. This is why you're, what are you giving up? You know, we talk about a lot of times super flex. You're giving up on a backup quarterback that could hit and be a starter for you. If one thing occurs, backup running back, same thing, a two tight end league, or even if it's two PPR with a premium, you're talking about a backup tight end that has a much better shot of hitting with a single injury where the wide receiver is going to start and be buried uh, at the outset of their career and the odds just dwindle from there. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And one thing I think you have to be really concerned about is, is the falling player right after the NFL draft. So we saw this last year, this year's it's a good class. So we don't really have this problem, but last year guys like Hakeem Butler, who, you know, pre-draft, you looked at mock drafts and, and pre-draft ADP for rookie drafts was going somewhere in the late first, early second round of drafts. And then the draft happens. He falls to day three is a fourth round NFL draft pick and people don't move that quick. And, and people were taking him early second round, you know, thinking, Hey, the, he still has opportunity and, and, you know, it's an open depth chart and all of those things. But in reality, you're dealing with a person that's a one in 10 shot. And historically, you know, where, where he is going in that range, you're looking at 20, 25% of players should be hitting if you're drafting wide receivers in that early second round of rookie drafts. You just can't make those bets. So generally, as, as a rule, I would say stay away from, stay away from day three wide receivers, generally speaking. But if you, if you like one, don't do it in the second round of a rookie draft, right? It's, it has to be later than that, just because the hit rate at all the other positions is too much to sacrifice at that point. Right. And, and you want to look for the right profiles. The guy I always come back to where, you know, if you were doing it right and you were actually going for a day three guy, Stefan Diggs is one of those where he was yes. an elite recruit. He was a, uh, a phenom in terms of producing at a high level, uh, market share wise, overall wise at, at Maryland in his college career. And so again, he was a five-star guy, produced well, fell through the cracks a little bit. You know, I, I think he didn't finish, if memory serves, all that highly for his college career. I think he goes around five, but he had the profile. He had the high metric profile you're looking for, and the cost was very palatable. And I think you mentioned it right, Jordan, which is this year we don't have quite the same pressurized problem as previous and honestly most classes because there's a number of wide receivers going day two or better. We've got a good influx of running backs. And again, there's a pipeline of some of these high pedigree 
uh, tight ends and quarterbacks that fall into the third, fourth round sometimes of rookie drafts in stock formats where this year you don't really have that go-to guy. Um, I would say maybe Antonio Gandy-Golden, if we wanted to create a guy that kind of qualifies on this list because he's an older, older player, not a great recruit. And, and for people that are drafting him, they're boosting him up because of situation. The Redskins have a relatively open passing game, but again, he goes 142 overall. He's not an elite metric prospect. He's slightly above average. So there's a lot of things pointing to, and he didn't even work out that well. You know, there's a lot of things pointing to, you know, he being that name if there is one this year. But I think back, you mentioned Hakeem Butler. How about Riley Ridley? You know, some people were just on Riley Ridley, even though everything flew in the face of, hey, he's not a great athlete, didn't produce that much. People want to explain it all away. And he goes, you know, 120-something in the draft. And Kelvin Harmon was another one. He was the Reds. He was... He was Antonio Gandy Golden before Antonio Gandy Golden last year of saying, Oh, well, the situation's great. And he was another one, right? Kelvin Harmon was going, I want to say pre-draft top, top 12 to 15 of, of some people's boards, you know, when we go all the way back to January and he just fades and people just want to keep buying in. Oh, well, I can only drop him around and a half. No, you can actually drop him all the way <laughs> if you <laughs> <Right>. want to. <laughs> um, I, I, I remember a couple of years beyond, beyond where we are today. I mean, Jordan Lastly, remember how, mm-hmm. Oh, watch the tape. Watch the tape of Jordan last, lastly. Watch this guy run a route. And, you know, he had some appeal, but he turned into a nothing. You know, he turned into an absolute flash and nothing. Amara Darbo was another one. We watched first person. You know, we, <laughs> we don't really know what's going on. Like, oh, he's going to go day two. He didn't go day two. And all of a sudden he becomes, you know, just nothing. Uh, Malcolm Mitchell. Remember when he goes to the Patriots? Yeah. Oh, he's going to be great. Tajay Sharp. He was the one going way too high. So, I mean, this, there's guys every year. And again, I think this is a better year in general with less, bright lights and distractions, but this is one, I mean, it's a very basic one, right? I mean, if, if, if I wanted to make a pitch for one guy this year, it would be Tyler Johnson, you know, of someone that had the profile, mm-hmm. he didn't work out, but you look at his situation, how long are you going to hold that spot? He goes to Tampa Bay. If he's the wide receiver three and even a decent wide receiver three in the NFL, we talked on a previous show about what your position wide receiver one, two, three, four matters. Even if you have an elite quarterback, the upside here is just not there unless a cascade of injuries, Tom Brady's great, and Tyler Johnson is vaulted way up. This is, I mean, that is the one profile I would make an exception for this year, and yet he goes to a situation that's pretty darn blocked, and you say, how long are you holding that spot would be one of my biggest arguments against these deep wide receivers that are going to be fighting for 53-man roster spots more so than a number two job. And, and honestly, where you're getting Tyler Johnson, guys like KJ Hamler are available, right? I mean, there's a, th- this year you, you just are getting such discounts across the board in terms of when you look at rookie drafts. Consistently, you're getting day two wide receivers in places where they are never going. So, uh, you know, so that that in and of itself is a huge. You know, once you make the leap from day two to day three, it's a it's a big drop off, a really steep drop off. And one thing too is even guys in the when you hear someone say, oh, it's a good immediate situation. In my research, I looked at something I call what's survivorship, right? Survivor rate. And what is what that is, is basically how soon the next wide receiver is drafted ahead of that person um, that has better draft pedigree, right? So when does the team basically readdress the position with higher value? And if you look, it's you know only only 60% of the round four guys survive a year. Right. So that's, I was going to say for day three guys, it's going to be almost none. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then for, you know, it, when you get down into the fifth, sixth and seventh round, you're looking, you know, 40 to 
you know, between 45 to 35 percent there, thereabouts. And when you look long term, it's just it's it's well, totally, one year. That's right. One that's right. one off season. The very next off season, when the team goes, hey, what do you feel about doing a wide receiver? That 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 they had the first chance they got. That's right. what I guess NFL right. free agency would be the fir- technically the first chance. But again, it doesn't even include free agency. Right? Right. They, they tell you. They tell, yeah. Right. I mean, if, if they spent five for 40, you know, on a guy, uh, you know, a month before, two months before the draft, that was their first opportunity. Right. I mean, it's just you're never going to be comfortable. The point is you're never going to be comfortable. So if you want to grasp on to Antonio Brown and Tyreek Hill and uh, Brandon Marshall always is one of my go tos, you know, of just so, so productive right. and such an outlier. Um, and Stefan Diggs. I mean, we are almost listing the guys. This We're almost out. Right. That's the point over the last 15 to 20 years. So be very careful about assuming they're the next guy. And the thing, you know, we, we talk about optimization a lot. And, and one of the biggest ways to optimize or de-optimize is with those last four, five, six, seven roster spots, you know, and, and if you got three or four, three wide receivers and, you know, a couple of them from this year, one from last year, you're just really not, you, you, you know, you're playing the probabilities against you. Um, and you're hoping to be, and, and frankly, you know, this is something I think we all to some degree battle with, right? Jordan of like really try to remove yourself and say, man, I'm going to be the smartest guy in the room, right? Everyone is off on this guy and I'm going to be right. And a lot of times, you know, you prove you're <laughs> about as smart as everybody else and whoever rostered that guy was going to be wrong. It's essentially the Jeff Janis thing, right? I mean, going back a while, you had, yeah, you had, you had Jeff Janis, who I think the, uh, the metric community, I mean, that was one of the, you know, that was really when I would say f- fantasy football analytics was sort of All becoming in, a big thing. I mean, just the, uh, it's, he was a cult like figure and he, you sat him on your bench for like four years. Where did he go to college? Zero Jordan? starts. Oh, offhand. Can't it's remember. a pipeline. It's a pipeline program. North Dakota it's, State. It's Clemson Light. It's called Saginaw Valley State. Oh, okay. All right. Jeff okay. Janis, twenty-three year old, non-recruit. <laughs> Clemson. But man, Light. did he test out of the gym? And boy, Aaron Rodgers was going to turn him into something special. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to go round two. You, you know, you got to go round two to be a really good wide receiver on the on the Packers. <laughs> it's it, it's one of those uh, decision trees. Did you go round two? Yes or no? And then you, if the answer is no, you, it's like a trash can right below that. If it's yes, then you're the next Devontae Adams. Congratulations, you're the next Greg Jennings. <laughs> they wouldn't. They, come on, the the Packers wouldn't dare draft a wide receiver on day two. I mean, come on, that's uh, that's just <laughs> right. That'd be heresy. Uh, right? <laughs> This is uh, Chad Parsons and Jordan McNamara, episode six of the Football Guys Dynasty Show, and we've been talking about the different skill positions for you, Jordan, at the at your rankings up at footballguys.com, yeah. so you can check that out. And it is tight end week. Here we are, and tight end. There's a lot of leverage, more two tight end leagues out there than ever before. And frankly, you want to be super optimized with those roster spots. Be lean and mean if you can possibly be in your 24 to 28 man typical dynasty depth if it's a start one. And Jordan, uh, you are out there and the highest of the football guys staffers that rank at, uh, Jared Cook. So they drafted, uh, Adam, uh, Troutman coming in this year, squeezed into day two. Uh, but Jared Cook is still there, still kicking. I would argue he's still one of the, what, the top 
five to eight most athletic tight ends in the in the NFL, even though he's uh, well into his 30s at the, this point. So what is your uh, elevator pitch here on Jared Cook uh, with Drew Brees still intact and uh, a lot of the offense there with the Saints still intact? Yeah, I mean, it's it's largely that, right? He's going to be 33. Uh, but at this point, you know, in the rankings at tight end, if in the teens you can get someone you think is locked in to being – a starter this year and you feel really good about them being a, a top 12 play doing that makes a lot of sense in terms of what the hit rates are at tight end and a lot of that clarity and one of the things you said about earlier when we were talking about receivers was you want you want that clarity you don't want to sort of have to wait a long time on developmental types that is a lot of what happens at that comparable uh, spots in in the rankings with tight ends so for me I mean Jared Cook tight end 12, tight end 5, tight end 7 the last three years. He's basically the ultimate post-type sleeper. I, I mean, you were playing back when he was coming out, and you know every, it was it was really, really hyped up. He really didn't realize that, uh, that upside that everyone discussed, and now he has sort of sustained this long-term career. I just think he's he's been very, very good. Uh, the Troutman thing speaks to more of a next year, to me and this off season, one thing we've sort of talked about is this off season doesn't strike me as one where you're going to see a lot of quick development out of rookies, maybe at running back, um, but at tight end and wide receiver, some of the, the longer development, uh, the longer arcs in terms of developing players, you're not getting mini camps. You're not getting OTAs. Who knows what's going to happen with training camps and, and all those things. I, I'm just going to, I'm going to really make a bet on stability and so Jared Cook's one of those examples for me that he's just been he's been rock solid at a at a position that frankly there's there's been a lot of turnover recently and so I'll take I'll take Jared Cook uh, in the teens pretty comfortably and get you know, this year and it might even be a next year window too so yeah um I think that's a good pitch and I mean you talk about a guy that's been you know at tight end one at least 3 times in his career and the fact that he's developed so late, I mean, it's a little Delaney Walker-esque, you know, obviously a different road to get there. But typically you see guys like Tony Gonzalez or Jason Witten, Antonio Gates, where they're, it's so up and down that so many guys are never even going to get to what Jared Cook is likely to produce this year and already did produce a year or two in the back uh, mirror here that it's so unlikely that that they are going to actually get there. I mean, basically, Jay Sternberger is kind of going in the same value range of drafts and trading as Jared Cook, you know, or Blake Jarwin. I mean, talk about a leap of faith, mm. you know, Blake yeah. Jarwin. Oh, assuming or Ian Thomas coming from day three, you know, or John New Smith. I mean, these are guys that are either going equal to or ahead of in a lot of drafts. Um, and your neck of the woods there in Buffalo, you know, Dawson Knox of assuming, assuming they take the step forward and, you know, we, we may say it drops off quick and, you know, you get to tight end four or five and it's, ah, it's all the same, but to still get into the top 10 or 12 is a giant achievement for a lot of these tight ends because many of them will, you know, kind of meander maybe in tight end two land for a couple of years and then the team will move on or they'll 
be faced with free agency and all of a sudden they're not treated well in terms of we view as you as the starter, you know, almost Martellus Bennett style of, hey, you were kind of the backup or okay, and now we're going to trust you as a multi-year starter for our team. Um, a tight end is just, I, I think you hit it with, with something you said, which is you almost need to view it a little more redraft style with tight end just because you're working with some massive differences between if you hit the right guy for the right year versus, you know, I'm trying to play the long game and, you know, is someone ever really going to get there of being that big difference maker? And it, it's a roster construction point too, which is when you get a guy like Jared Cook, you project him, assuming health, to be to produce in a what I would consider a, a low end to mid a tight end one this year. You don't have to roster three or four tight ends to fix that that position where you might, if you go with a Dawson Knox or you go later on down the line with like an OJ Howard or a Joku or one, you know, when you sort of go further down the position, you have to, there's more roster spots you'll need to allocate because the the hit rates a lot lower and you're, you're just less likely to solve it with one player. Um, so if you're playing 20, 24 man rosters, that's a consideration that I think is important to make. That is the biggest observation I've had from taking over some, again, stock. You mentioned the exact, you know, mid twenties roster spot orphans is that I come upon these teams and I'm like, what are you doing with four mm-hmm. tight ends on your roster? Like if they already require a defense and or a kicker or something, you are just, that's, a, that's like the three or four quarterback thing. You just can't give up that many roster spots. And it, it was, and sometimes it wasn't even a consistent, like you said, I mean, do you not have a guy? Well, having four tight ends doesn't really fix that. Is the third or fourth guy really different from the waiver wire, you know, in that, in that depth of league? And who's hoarding all these tight ends where you're like, <laughs> I can't give them up. I'll never be able to get value back from this position. Um, and those are the same leagues where you look and it's like, well, no one at the end of the year had Hayden Hurst. Like he's actually available on the waiver wire right now as we sit in, in uh, June 2020. So, um, you know, there's just, or, you know, Blake Jarwin might be easy. To, you know, to, to get off the way. But right. the point is the difference between having that roster spot locked in right now or locked in for the last six months versus, versus otherwise. Um, and so that was one of the biggest things. And even some of these teams where it's like, Hey, they have a guy, you know, I take over a team. It's like, wow, you've got, you know, Mark Andrews, but you still have four tight ends. Like the whole mm-hmm. point of having a strong tight end is maybe you only have two. You know, and, and so that's why I always tell people, you know, you start drafting a bunch of quarterbacks and tight ends and rookie drafts. I mean, have a plan, have an exit plan of, you know, if this guy hits, I'm trading him or I'm trading the guy I already had or I'm doing something because, you know, you, you keep accumulating and, and making excuses in the second and third round of your rookie draft and say, it's my best player available. Well, you know, at some point you have too many and you're de-optimizing your roster and your your upside for your entire team. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Um, move it over to another player. And uh, I would say we disagree a little bit um, on this player. So this will be the first time we kind of mix it up. Uh, maybe that'll be the next thing is, you know, let's, <laughs> let's fight, let's fight it out about players. Let's find some disagreement. And that's hard to do. You know, Jordan and I are, are pretty much in alignment here, but David Joku talk about a, a tumultuous road to get to where he is today. And I don't even know if the twists and turns are done, Jordan. I mean, they've already picked up, they picked up his fifth year option and yet they just signed a guy for big money in Austin Hooper. They drafted someone earlier, you know, early ish on day three who had a good profile coming in and Harrison Bryant. I mean, who knows what formations we're going to see out of the Browns, but David Joku has the pedigree of the position, but it certainly has been an up and down ride to get to 2020. 
It certainly has been an up and down ride. I think for Joku, the case that I would make for him is he's a first round tight end. He's going to be 24 years old this year and he already has produced a top 12 seasonal finish, right? So those, those profiles and tight ends, first round tight ends. I mean, Eric Ebron had a pretty weak start to his career and it's still highly valued by the NFL at this point, right? And he's, in his mid to late twenties now, Joku is, is even if he hits free agency after next year, you know, you're looking at him being 25, 26 years old when that happens. I still think there's plenty of opportunity for him to sign a multi-year deal. If it's not in Cleveland, heck, he could be an attractive trade candidate. Um, you know, they have extended him for his fifth year option. Uh, and I guess on the field, what I would say is the, Kevin Stefanski offense in Minnesota last year, Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith on the field together a ton in terms of you look at their, their uh, tight end routes, right? The, the routes that they ran uh, in terms of the, what they did positionally, their tight ends were in the top five of the league in terms of the percentage of the routes were on and how many routes they ran. That's, and I think if you look at this offense, I think you can see, the two outside receivers, Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. You see the two tight ends in Hooper and Joku. I understand they took Brian on day three. Again, I'm, I'm calculating in some slow starts from these rookies, especially at these developmental positions. He does not scare me in terms of being a Joku owner. And, you know, you get, you have the two running backs. They ran a lot of single back sets. I think we're going to see a lot of what they did in Minnesota last year. And projecting that forward, I think a new regime will probably help David Joku. Uh, because getting tight end right is, is one thing that's very, that historically has proven very difficult for coaches to get, to get right. You know, we think about the start for Eric Ebron. It's just sometimes it can be very difficult for a coach to, to get, um, touches and volume to a tight end where it's easier for a wide receiver, for example, in their development curve. So I, 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 all of those things, I, plus the fact that he already has one under his belt. I think that's a good historic uh, marker in terms of going forward. Is it this year, right? Is this a top six finish in, in 2020? Probably not. But I think in terms of uh, viability, you know, he's, he would be more of a target for me, I think in, in a two tight end setting. Because, and you and I faced a situation like this a couple years ago when we took OJ Howard. We didn't love OJ Howard's upside, but from a floor play perspective, we said he's going to be involved for a while, and that has a lot of viability in a two tight end league. Um, that's a similar case, I think, with Joku. I think he's going to be involved. Do I think he has the volume to get all the way to a, a top six finish in the next two years? Probably not. But if an injury, you know, we don't know what's going on with Jarvis Landry. Right. We don't, you know, he's says he's going to be back in time, the offseason surgery, all of those things. I mean, if one of these guys goes down, all of a sudden you have a, a passing game that is not quite as deep as, as it looks on paper right now. And I think that that presents some upside as well. So I think it's a, it's primarily a, a profile bet, but I do think he has some viability to finish in the teens this year in terms of uh, production. 
Yeah, um, I think that's a good pitch, and I, I do think it's a good delineation between one tight end and two tight end, where you're thinking more about floor, you're less likely in a two tight end league to all the way give up on someone like David Joku. I do think it's easier in the exact setting I, I mentioned before. You know, you got three, four tight ends, it's a start one league, and you feel good. You know, maybe you have someone else you hit on, you've got a Hayden Hurst type, and you've got somebody else, and then you've got David Joku. Like, that is a spot that's going to be very hard for you to maintain uh, for very long. You know, if it's 26 man rosters and, and you're like, man, but there's these injury array running backs and, you know, but, you know, I'm only rostering one quarterback right now and I'm going to need something for a bye week. I mean, there's a lot of settings where you get squeezed in that type of depth. And for Joku, I'll, I'll kind of present maybe the, the counter and, and why maybe in a start one, you should be a lot more skeptical of is he worth said roster spot and for how long. Um, looking at, and, and one thing I, I've been looking at is sort of the you know improvement factor i don't have a, a moniker for it yet but basically looking what have they done kind of who are some peers uh through x x point in their career so for joku is through three seasons and it, you know what how many of them improved upon what their career year is so far and it's about 50 50 that improved upon it uh for david joku um, and the part for me is that drop off last year to tight end 50 or so is drastic. I mean, you just don't see that, and you specifically don't see that out of someone who was productive or had any sense of pedigree or someone that did you know, uh, enough of what he was doing before that in his career. And it's eerily similar to three guys that are on the wrong side of that subset for his peers, which is an Austin Safarian Jenkins, uh, Ben Troop, and Anthony Beck. And all of them were guys that you didn't see that progression and that build from what their previous career high was to approach that in the future. You know, they leveled off, had, you know, typically that, that, that trio had one tight end two type season. Now, maybe that's what we kind of get out of it. I think Eric Ebron on the other side of the coin is one where you say he really didn't put it together until changing teams and getting mid career. And now he's had sort of a renaissance and he might be, you know, a, a top 18 type guy again here with, with Pittsburgh. So, I mean, I think that is, but, but the point is, I think this could definitely go either way. I mean, he's someone that had lauded athletic and kind of movement fluidity to his game, but yet it was overtly mentioned that he's a raw guy, you know, 21 year old tight end coming in really needs to kind of develop and, and, and learn about the position and progress. And it, it was more of a developmental two, three, four year type curve. And now here we are entering year four and we kind of feel like he may still be on a two, three, four year, four year curve, but at least he's going to get a lot of uh, chances as a first round tight end, a la Eric Ebron of if he changes teams once or twice, he's still probably going to be in the NFL outside of off field or, or character type things. That organizational instability has hurt him. Right. I mean, what are they on their third coach since he's been there? Right. They're, yeah. I guess their third front office. I mean, this is just, uh, it almost, it, it similar to Jared Cook, right? In terms of you could see how he gets on that Eric Ebron track and, and has to develop someplace else. Never miss a moment of our football guys show content, whether it's the Audible, this Dynasty show, you've got IDP Roundtable, and others. You can get those audio and uh, visual shows over there at Football Guys TV on YouTube. Subscribe, rate, and review on all your podcasting platforms. Uh, that is on 
that is through the Audible. Just search that. That's where we are under. Um, and again, the Football Guys daily email update delivered by Joe Bryant. It's going to be your daily guide for all your news and instant analysis. You can sign up for that. Again, no strings attached, but get the news and information you need every single day this time of year and especially in season. You want it to just be part of your daily habit. Footballguys.com slash free. And I do want to mention um, also we, there's a promotion through the FFPC Football Guys Player Championship. Get a free $35 team. And that's going to be something in the coming time. Uh, Jordan and I are going to co-own a team. And so we're going to be able to talk through our strategy, our draft, um, and the format itself. If you are unfamiliar, there's some twists and turns that make it unique among the Dynasty uh, population of, of, dyna- of formats there. So we're going to be able to talk about th- that through um, through this uh, Dynasty podcast. And that's myffpc.com slash football guys. And Jordan, I have something I wanted to discuss with you, near and dear to to your heart, your daily heart, as I give you hints about something you know nothing, what is coming next. Uh, <laughs> I always love it getting dropped it, on me without any, I know. Without any it's notice. Not, it's not on the show sheet. Where is it on the show sheet? Um, how many times in my life would you say I have had coffee? I have consumed coffee. Oh, less than five. In your presence, it's been zero, correct? Right. Yeah. We went to a right. Starbucks, I think once and you might have I hung out water. It was, it was the most, uh, it was probably the most painstaking order at a Starbucks you've ever seen. Right. Because yeah. I, I was locked into not getting coffee and that makes it a tough <laughs> order. I was literally looking in the prepackaged juice bin that is by, that is by the front, by the register, this impulse yeah. buys. It ended up costing like double your, your very nice coffee because it's like, you're here for coffee. If you want to buy anything else, it's going to be triple what you think you should pay. But I had this sort of, I'm not buying coffee. I had coffee last week, Jordan. Since we last recorded, we have not talked and I had coffee and I wanted to tell you about it. <laughs> Are you still, I, I sent your, when did you have it? Like Wednesday oh, or no, Thursday? Not, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I sense you're still a little amped coffee. up from it. I no, mean, that's, that's kind <laughs> well, of <laughs> I am very sensitive to caffeine. Um, and, and if I do have, I'm not a soda guy, so it would definitely be, I've had coffee. You were correct though, less than five times in my life. Yeah. Um, I have had it. I want to say three or four, I, and every one seems to be a good story. This one was our power went out. Our, it was a scheduled power outage. They were doing, you know, some some wiring stuff, and so the 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 whole the whole building was out. So I was like, ah, what am I going to do? You know, I'm and I always think back to, well, go somewhere with Wi-Fi. You can work. Do Jordan's right. move for folks that don't know. I mean, Jordan does this like regularly. You know, ah, I need a good workspace. You know, and that that can mean going and hanging out at Starbucks for half of, half of a day to really crunch out some stuff. And so I I didn't go there though, but I got a iced coffee at McDonald's. It's the closest Oof. thing that was okay. well. Anyway, so I, I had to order something. I'm not going to order soda. I'm not going to order, you know, something else. So I was just like, you know what? Because I remember so one of my other stories is when I have coffee, I am hyper focused. Oh, Jordan, yeah. you may you may be immune to it though. I don't know. It may have <laughs> lost its luster over the years for you because you're at not five five thousand. <laughs> but anyway, but I had coffee. I'm telling you. Here's my mistake though. It's like three thirty in the afternoon. Oh my god, I couldn't go to sleep. <laughs> I could not go to sleep. I was like an old man. I was like, I'm up. It's 12 o'clock. I'm up 1230, 1 o'clock. I just, I couldn't go to bed, but I would just say in an hour on coffee, I can do what it takes me four hours to do. Otherwise, <laughs> it's like a tractor beam. I'm right there. But you know what? Afternoon is not the time I, I would, I would need to have it like at six, seven in the morning, which is actually one of my other four or five times I've had coffee was first thing in the morning. And boy, did, does that light you up, Jordan? I can only imagine that cup of Joe for you. First thing. <laughs> Oh my god. You guys had more coffee afternoon today than you've had in your life. I know. You are a yeah. if you don't have Starbucks stock, you definitely should. I haven't been to Starbucks since like You haven't. It's been a while. 
It's that's one of that's one of your uh, social distancing story, stories stories adjustments, right? Yeah, it's broken my habits though. So I mean, it was a big you know I'd stop on the way to work or at home or go to for lunch or whatever, and like the coffee budget, you know, I got that that line item in the tracker at at the bank, and you don't even know where the coffee is at the store, but now you know because <laughs> right. you actually buy your own coffee. We ran out of coffee. We were getting a an Instacart delivery to our house, and we and we you we ran, ran out? out for oh. like the day before it was coming, and my Did wife's like, yeah, out? it's coming. It's coming in the afternoon. And I was like, I gotta go an entire morning without coffee. I guess this is going to be tough. So I ended up drinking tea, which wasn't horrible, but oh my God, it was, <laughs> I it can was just borderline... imagine you choking that down. <laughs> oh, it was borderline crisis level at the, uh, I was going to ask so that <laughs> early was... on in quarantine. So that was the first morning and you can't even imagine how long where you didn't have coffee. Yeah, I drink it wow. pretty uh, consistently. It was it pretty was very nerve wracking. It was very nerve wracking when it when it finally arrived. I went directly and made a cup. So, I don't. We are like we are like fire and ice about this. You're like you're like less than five times, Chad. And you're like yeah, you are. That's so easy correct. And like Jordan, more than five thousand times. You're like that is so easily correct. <laughs> All right, uh, back to some Dynasty talk. Uh, you are listening to Chad Parsons, Jordan McNamara on uh, Coffee Talk, uh, Coffee Table Talk, uh, Episode <laughs> 6 of Football Guys Dynasty Show. Got some interesting trades. Of course, this is where the rubber beats the road for existing Dynasty League general managers to learn a lot about strategy, uh, player value, and uh, and team construction. So this is one where, again, when you have the, the uh, give and take of a rebuilding team and a contending team, uh, things can work out. You know, it can be a win-win. And this was a rebuilding team trading Kenyon Drake for Terry McLaurin. So two players that in a 12-team uh, PPR stock format that this, these are two players that I, I would say most people have a strong take on are they buys slash holds or sells this offseason because we've seen from 12 months ago their their value is far higher, far greater, which means either you're you're doubling down, you're buying in, or you are selling and and locking in the profit of what they were valued at to what they are today. Hey, this is a really interesting one. Um, I, generally speaking, in he- what I would consider heavy flex lineups, so if it's like a hyper flex or you're starting one of each position with a whole lot of flexes, given the option to do that. At a, at a particular price point, I'm taking running back over wide receiver almost all the time. Um, unless there's some real good reason why the wide receiver has fallen or there's a wart with the running back. Ge- I would say my general rule is at the, at a similar price point, take the, take the running back over the wide receiver. So in this case, I, I think you and I both have some skepticism about Terry McLaurin long term. Uh, and, Maybe we do as well for, for Kenyon Drake on the, he just has the one year deal. Maybe they try and get him locked up. We'll see. But I think he could produce more this year in terms of warp and our wins over replacement stats and the things that, that move the needle, um, than McLaurin could. And at some point with McLaurin, I mean, it doesn't really seem like he's, he is on a wide receiver one type track. And again, with that survivor, that survivor rates that we were talking about earlier with wide receivers, we don't really expect a wide receiver from late day two to get all the way through, right? Like to, to get this full run at some point, they're going to address the position. And this is one of the worst supporting casts for a quarterback in the entire NFL in terms of Washington's offense. So I just, I think 
when you look long-term, I do think they're going to address that. I don't think he's a long-term wide receiver one. And I could see Kenyon Drake this year out, you know, out producing McLaurin and in terms of making a difference. And I could see it continue long, you know, in the next two to three year window. So give me Drake here. Yeah. Just to add, you know, an ancillary note to, to a lot of the things you said was I think Kenyon Drake is fascinating this year. And, and I, I do think he's, he's interesting as a sell right now of saying he's never really done it and it would be a higher workload and going all the way through a season. He's 26, Jordan, and you date back to Alabama. His is pretty much an entire early part of his career. And now he's firmly mid career or even on the back half for a typical running back. And you say, we're still kind of waiting on that. So I think that's a fascinating part. Obviously the upside is huge with Arizona. If they are taking a step forward, or even if he just has the same role he had at his peak last year, uh, post trade to Arizona. Um, I personally, if you were rebuilding, I do think Kenyon Drake, he would not make it to, uh, the end of the regular season, whenever your trade deadline is on my team, if I was rebuilding, uh, he would not make it that far. I would seek a different type of trade, however. Um, now maybe that is Kenyon Drake, you know, even if you're still not contending, Drake's doing well in the first four to six weeks. And maybe you can get a, a slow starting rookie running back, uh, straight up or even adding something that you like and you couldn't get that done today, but the slow start helps you the hot start from Drake. And I just don't think with Drake, there's a lot of reason to make this deal right now. You know, I mean, he's locked in, you know, RB one for a team that, that has promise. And yet what's really going to happen right now, you can be very exploratory and very uh, pragmatic with exactly what you're looking for. And I just find it hard to believe that Terry McLaurin is the, this is exactly what I was looking for as a rebuilding team to try to find a more core like guy for the next two, three years when I'm ideally contending. That would be my thing. I I always go back to the, it was it really shopped enough. Um, Next trade. Mm -hmm. um, And this is another one. So another rebuilding deal, rebuilding versus contending George Kittle. So high, high leverage uh, tight end here for Noah Fant. A, and a late 21 first and second. So you're getting three pieces there. You're getting that round one pedigree on the tight end. Uh, but you're giving up George Kittle, who has been a high impact guy since he has broken out. Yeah, it's a, he's basically the outlier of outliers in terms of draft pedigree at tight end, but I'm betting on it to continue, right? I, I, I think with Kittle, he's a, he's a really high end asset. I almost think that, that Fant is, similar to McLaurin in some sense that he got on this track really early in his career of it was basically him and Sutton. There wasn't a ton of other competition there. He carves out a good role. I I like him, but now they bring in all of the reinforcements, right? Judy Hamler. I mean, heck Alberto, which that probably be a slower start. I don't think he's a direct threat to, uh, to Fant. Um, I mean, I would wonder how late the picks are would be the other thing. Uh, you know, generally speaking, I don't take a super late view on picks. I think that we should view picks more in the middle of the round, even if we think a team is good. It's a lot of downside. Um, and one of the things about picks is the upside. If you get a 101 or 102, that's a really big difference. Whereas it's not quite as much of a difference in terms of if it's, you know, the difference between, you know, 10 and 11, for example. So I, I weigh them closer towards the middle of the round, even if I think the team is good. Um, so I, all of that said, um, I would probably take Kittle 
uh, just because I think he's, I think he's the, the clear, uh, the clear best player in this draft. And I think trading into the later part of next year's draft is probably not going to be all that lucrative. It's just my hunch. Yeah. And this is a one quarterback league. And I've said it before that, you know, Superflex makes the, the first round picks next year look better, um, because you're, you're going to be thinking quarterback. You're going to mix in some good wide receivers, but running back, it really is not the year. I mean, there's one or two chances we're not going to be overly, uh, discussive of Debbie, um, especially at this point in time. Uh, but again, the running back landscape is not overly, uh, overly bullish. Um, for, for next year, especially compared to what we had this year, which was just a, a luxury there at the top of the board, especially. Um, so yeah, I mean, George Kittle, he's on such a great track. I mean, two top three finishes in his first three years, like you said, I mean, coming from day three. So, but, but once they start doing it like this, um, you know, it pretty much maintains for a while. So Phil Fant has a lot of pressure that, that pick that, you know, if they, if they're getting George Kittle and they gave up their own pick, I mean, they just got stronger. So, so there's a lot of pressure. You do have three chances to quote unquote get it right or make it even, but I do think it's an uphill road, um, just to start that process because you did give up the clear best player in the deal. Um, last trade we got, this is half PPR. Um, so again, uh, that shifts a little bit towards running back in general. And this is a big boy trade. Um, so we're going to be able mm-hmm. to break this down a little bit because Sequan Barkley or Christian McCaffrey, um, specifically at the top of the board, I'm not going to say they're untouchable, but it's hard to touch them. It's very difficult <laughs> to play. It's difficult to play dynasty trade tag with them is what we'll say. So Sequan Barkley was traded. There's some keys to this. Now they got a bunch of pieces. So we'll break this down a little bit. So 12 team, uh, nothing super fancy outside of the half PPR is Sequan Barkley for Joe Mixon, Cortland Sutton, Dallas Goddard and 105 this year, which we can pencil that in as you can get one of the big five running backs. You can get probably the wide receiver one if you so choose there. Uh, Jordan, what's your thought if you are selling Barkley or buying Barkley? Uh, what side is the uh, more promising side to you? Man, this is, it's pretty interesting in terms of this deal. I, I saw Barkley go for significantly less than that this week. So I would say that this is on the, the right side. I think it's fair, I guess is what I would say. I think depending on, is it, did it say if it's super flex or not? I don't think it did, it right? Not. Okay. It's not. Um, you know, so you're going to get, I think in worst case scenario, you're going to get swift. Um, you know, and maybe in a better case scenario, you get an acres or a Dobbins falls there. Um, uh, it's a, it strikes me as a, I would want to, if I am contending, um, I'm probably taking Barkley. If I'm on sort of the, hey, I need, you know, I can contend, but I need a couple more pieces. The, the, the part that bothers me about it is I don't hate necessarily the value. I just wish that you had a different player other than Sutton, for example, right? Like if it was a, if it was a player other than Sutton in that range of the draft, call it, um, you know, some other receiver in that range, uh, I would probably like it a little bit more. I mean, a guy like Allen Robinson is going after Cortland Sutton. If Allen Robinson's name is in this trade, I'm probably um, on the mix inside pretty hard. Um, I, so I guess that's, I, I'm interested in what your take on it is. I'm, I'm, I would say I'm pretty neutral just based on the value of it. Yeah, um, I'm one of the biggest uh, uh, supporters and advocates for the, the the big five running backs this year, and so I have been gravitating towards those spots. I am 
part of the, uh, and maybe the president of the Cam Akers fan club. So if that, <laughs> if that is Cam Akers at 105, I mean, you are giving me absolute best case scenario here. And I'm still going to have trouble, um, not taking the Barkley side. Um, Dallas Goddard in a start one. Again, I like Dallas Goddard. Mm-hmm. I have looked to acquire him. The fact that he's doing what he's doing as the number two tight end on his own team is pretty fabulous. If he ever gets freed, you know, the whole hashtag free player X, you know, movement that we hear from time to time. Um, and, but Joe Mixon, I, I, I can, I can be swayed either way on him. Honestly, I know he's a trendy boy. He's going to be great starting now. Um, but you have a rookie quarterback that, you know, I know is supposed to change the franchise, but you've also got some viable pieces in the passing game. Uh, again, typically rookie quarterbacks are not great, you know, so I, I just, I have tepid and, and honestly, some of the, uh, the running back index that I, I built this offseason is not super positive on Joe Mixon. Like he's going to become a top three or four or five peak season type type running back. So I have some pause there. And second one, Barkley, I just think he's actually on a better year one, year two track than Christian McCaffrey. And McCaffrey obviously went on in year three, had a giant, uh, you know, break the, break the register, um, year in, in 2019. So I think people are skewed by that. I'm still taking Saquon Barkley as my 101 in, in startup drafts if I am there or wherever he's falling at two, three, four, whatever. But so I think that big monster number one overall running back season for Saquon Barkley. And again, he's on this path of just expect a string of them. So I think no matter, I, I still think the risk, even though you're getting all those pieces and you paint this picture of like, oh, well, if Mixon just gets close enough to Barkley this year, I'll like the trade. I mean, I think for Barkley, you're just, you're projecting this out and saying for the next three to five years, like I get a cornerstone guy that's probably not falling out of round one of the startup draft. And do you draft the guy at five that does Akers get there? Maybe. Does Mixon get, get close to Barkley? Maybe. Does Sutton? No. Does Goddard? No. I mean, just so you give it, it, it seems like a lot of stuff. It's a lot of eye candy, but to me, it's like you're giving up a $20 bill and you're getting, you know, a $10 bill and, you know, maybe another $10 bill and a five and, and maybe another five. Like it, it adds up. It makes sense to me. But to me, Barkley is one on the very exclusive short list where in some window you're like, you have a guy that put up two top seasons. He's 23 years old. He was the number two pick in the draft. And it looks like he still has untapped potential and he's still being held back by a situation. Like, I don't know. Like that's something that, you gotta, you gotta give me, I know it's strange to say, but you gotta give me a better piece than Mixon that I'm moving down to, you know, and, and it sounds like a lot. I just, I just think Barkley, you, you have, you have all this wrapped up into one roster spot where you say, did Christian McCaffrey win your league last year? And the answer is probably yes. So Barkley could absolutely do that <laughs> any given year. And I don't know if any of those pieces ever do that. Can, let me. I'm interested. I'm interested in this now because, as I sort of, as I was listening to you talk, I did the math on this. So let's say this is 101, right, in a startup draft, right? 101 for us. Essentially, this trade boils down to being a second, a third, a fourth, and an eighth. Yeah. I lot. mean, that's an enormous payoff. Yeah. I guess. I guess the question is, is let let's just change it just a fraction, right? And I said, I said Robinson, you know, who's going cheaper than Sutton would make a difference for me, I think, in terms of how I view this. But let's let's say if it was Josh Jacobs instead of Joe Mixon or Nick Chubb instead of Joe does that does the play does it 
it not necessarily being the value, but the player right. that it is, does that, or if it's a lock in at acres or, or what have you, what sort of, what piece yeah. at a similar price would make the difference to sort of tilt you? Because I, I'm guessing Joe, uh, Josh Jacobs is a different conversation for you, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Jacob, I think Jacobs or Jonathan Taylor would. Um, that to me makes it a different zone of, of, you know, I can, I can sell that more. So again, I think, I think this is the right approach. You know, if you are going to sell Barkley and to me, part of it is, you know, how deep are the lineups, right? I mean, yeah. if you're mm-hmm. starting, if it's, if it's like two, two and one flex at running back and wide receiver, I mean, it's pretty shallow. If you go to a couple spots more, the depth end up, ends up mattering. And again, I think it, it's very player specific. I think the value is fine. The quibble I have is I prefer guys over Mixon in that same range. And then again, we're both on the same page of, of Allen Robinson and maybe others um, in that same Cortland Sutton range. And then, you know, Dallas Goddard, again, you're, you're addressing a lot of positions here. So again, this could really help your team. And if you're sitting there where Sequan Barkley is your best player and you're kind of, you're going to be behind and, you know, it, it, how many high firsts is it going to take adding on to, to eventually turn your team into contending? And is Barkley 26 years old then? So that, that is one risk factor where you say, man, I, if I cash out, I need as many blue chip players as possible to help me in as many spots as possible. And again, I think this is kind of a, a B level grade. Like if you're going to sell Sequon Barkley, I think this is like a B and you can easily make it an A. Now I know you have to find the right team that's willing to pay up and you got to find the right combination of assets here. So that can also be a stumbling block to, to, to hurdle over to make that ideal optimized trade. And just as a big picture takeaway, I, I would say to the Barkley owner in this situation, if this is an offer that landed with you or you're, you are waiting to accept this, right? If this is in your inbox, shop him, right? Like you have a, you know, you can even say to the guy, Hey, keep this open for 12 hours. I want to, I want to sleep on it or, or whatever. Make some excuse about, I just, I want to, I just want to think about it. This is a big deal. I want to think about it. Give me 12 hours. I'm going and, camping this weekend. No Wi-Fi. <laughs> no Wi-Fi. Yeah. New phone. Who does? Um, you, you, and then shop him, right? You might not even say anything if you can get it done in a couple of hours, right? And, but I was, I'm in a league this week where Saquon Barkley got shopped and I would have paid a lot more than the player. Uh, you know, it was a Clyde Edwards Alaire centric trade. I think it was Clyde Edwards Alaire and CD Lamb, uh, and maybe a future first. I would have paid a lot more than that to get Saquon Barkley. And you want to know how many offers I got for Saquon Barkley in my in bin? Zero. So, and, and I know I have since found out what the genesis of the trade was, and it was the person that the, the Barkley owner received the offer, right? So he wasn't the one sending it out. He received it. And by doing that, uh, he didn't know, right? He saw this trade and, and thought it was good value, but didn't realize that there was another, there was a whole other market out there for him. So I would just warn, you know, if you're, if you're sort of in this and, you know, we, we are sort of tinkering with this trade and thinking about things that we would, we would do, um, look around, I guess is what I would be. And, and I think you and I are both, as we're sort of talking this through, you're selling the best player in the deal and you're not convinced, then don't do it. Right. I mean, that's, that's essentially where we're leaving this, I think. Uh, and so, you know, in that case, you sort of know that this is the floor of what you can get go look other places and see if there's other matches. If you're trying to shop Barkley um, for a value, go out and, and look at similar type of trades and see what you have to offer. And 
what the, what other teams have to offer if you're looking for a deal for them. Yeah, and, and that's a great final point that, you know, so many times, and, and we say it to so many, you know, listeners, readers, you know, folks we know in the, in the Dynasty community that, especially when you have a, a name asset, you know, this is not you trying to sell Ian Thomas. You know, this is, right. this is, if you're, if you're selling a high, it doesn't even have to be this high end, but the point is a near liquid asset, you know, that is going to appeal essentially to every team in the league. They will have some level of interest and you will not know what level of interest and please don't put them on your trade bait. Please don't put, <laughs> now I will say putting Saquon Barkley on your trade bait is better than putting the last three guys on your roster on your trade bait, which a lot of people do. So, but, but yeah, I mean, even when you get an offer, I do this all the time. If you get an offer, you're like, oh, that's decent. Like you can negotiate with that person as well as all of a sudden shopping whatever the main asset that you're giving up to other teams in the league. This is not like, you know, are we exclusive or not in dating circles? Right. Like this is, this is a free capital society of what will you pay? Okay. No. Okay. I'm done with you. What will you pay? What will you pay? I want to know. It's almost, it is a bidding, but it's, it's a silent. It's in, it's in the envelopes bidding. You know that, you know, what, what is this person going to pay? Move on to the next. You can be doing all of this simultaneously. And Sequan Barkley is absolutely an example of a player you need to be doing. Same thing if you had 101 in a startup draft or 101 in a rookie draft, right? You want to sell it, try to sell it to everybody, not just, I'm going to try to sell it to 108. Like, why would you, like, why would you limit yourself to eight? What about seven or six? Like, so anyway, someone else that might, you know, like we, we mentioned a ton of different players. They're on other teams. So, Again, if not Joe Mixon, could be somebody else as the center point of the trade. And again, it, it, I totally understand sometimes if you have one main asset, I got to get my team better. I'm dying on the vine. I need depth. Totally understand that. Um, but again, you can offer packages around to much of the league. And, and Jordan shared it. I, I, I've shared it. I mean, we've seen it a number of times where right when you get that email, you go, wow, didn't get one offer and I would have paid 30, 40% more than that. But never got asked, never knew this was the day I needed to make a cold call offer to this owner about this player. <laughs> I didn't know this was the going out of, 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 uh, of business sale. And yet it was. Yet it was. Um, that's going to do it. Uh, in this episode, we discussed uh, David Joku. We also discussed uh, how Chad doesn't drink coffee. But uh, Jared Cook, we also discussed about pedigree, those day three wide receivers. And again, I can't reiterate this enough. You need to be a part of the Football Guys daily email update. Um, the news, whether you think you follow the news or not, you need to go to footballguys.com slash free. Subscribe, rate, and review, and also listen to all of the Football Guys um, show offerings as well as check out the dynasty rankings which are up and uh, the content is flowing um, some of my favorite content of the year as a football guys consumer um, jordan's actually in the fold now as a staff writer doing things like the uh, value plays um, overrated um, and, and deep sleepers we do that at all the skill positions that's coming out this time of year uh, that's some of my favorite stuff where you see yeah. you know ha, you know th you know this quarterback has has five votes or eight votes and you see the write-ups for everybody you know the whole staff gets involved and you start seeing that series come out at footballguys.com this week so uh, i am chad parsons he is jordan mcnamara and until next time good luck in your dynasty business. You fill my head with such loathsome propaganda!